0: Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I'm Pastor Brian. If we've never met, I sure would love to meet you before you leave today. If you're newer here, uh, I, we'd love to connect a face with a name, and my wife Tracy was doing announcements, and uh, both of us, we sure would love to, to connect with you, so don't be rushing out of here. Um, if you're newer, also we'll have a time for prayer just at the end of the service if you need some prayer, if you've got questions about the message. And today's gonna be a, is going to be a good one. We've got a lot to cover. A lot of ground to cover today as we're continuing on in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 14. It's a long, it's a long chapter and we've been in it for several weeks now. We've got, uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit because today's message is we're going to kind of take a fresh look. At Peter's interaction with Jesus, this is Mark fourteen, and this is where uh, Jesus is a, a day away from going to the cross, and he just had his last supper last week. We we talked about this, the last supper of Christ with his disciples, and and he identified his betrayer that it would be Judas, and Judas takes off, and and now, you know, this is this famous scene. I think you've probably heard of this, where G, where Peter said in. Classic Peter fashion, Peter said, "I will never betray you, Jesus." And you're going to see that. Jesus, this is where Jesus says, uh, "Yeah, you will. You're going to betray me, and uh, you're going to deny me." And we're going to get to all that today, and, and we're going to even skip to the end of Mark chapter 14 to see when he did that. And so we got a lot to cover today, but all of it is under. I want to. I want to kind of frame the whole thing with this question. Before we jump into this, because we don't want to just point fingers at Peter today. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to shine his spotlight on our hearts as well. And so the question is, have you ever experienced mission drift? That's how we're going to frame what Peter was going through when he denied Jesus. We're going to call that mission drift. Mission drift is when you you have a mission, but you drift from your mission over time. Now, this isn't just a religious thing. This is like a workplace thing, right? Right? You talk about, if those of you, if you're, in the, if you're in the workforce, maybe you talk about mission drift. Those of you, if you serve in the military, thank you for your service, by the way. But you talk about mission drift. It's so easy to forget what your mission is. It's easy for any institution to get away from their mission. They start off really on fire, and everyone's heading in the same direction, but then you drift from mission. Kodak is a perfect example of this. Kodak's mission for over 100 years was to make photography accessible to the masses, and they started in the 1800s, and you know, remember when it was like, when you had to develop the film? Raise your hand if you've ever had to develop film before, just real quick, I wanted to see. Okay, good. So that's about a little more than half of us. Uh, I'm not going to ask you young people if you even know what I'm talking about, because you won't, you won't know what I'm talking about. But let me just see, raise your hand if you've developed film, if you've had film developed in the last five years. Anyone? I'm not raising my hand. So some of you have to tell me how. How in the world? Why would you do that? Because now maybe if you're like a real photographer, you're still, it's just how you do. But for you young people, if you're like, what are you talking about right now? Well, back when we had fax machines (laughs) and landlines and telephones, we used to have to, we used to have to load film, ask your parents, we'd have to load film into a camera and we'd have to wind it up. And then you would take pictures, and then you'd have, to, you'd have to go to Walgreens or wherever, and you'd have to get that film developed, and you would, here's the crazy thing, is you would have an actual photo at the end of the process. That's the one thing I do miss, by the way, is we don't really actually have photos. We just have them all on our phone. But this was, this was kind of how it used to work, and for 100 years, this is how it worked. And Kodak was a leader in this technology, and then digital cameras came along. Now remember, Kodak's whole mission was to make photography accessible to the masses. That was their mission. And when digital photography came out, they were a part of that. They were in the game, but they made a decision to go all in on the old school photography rather than digital photography, and in 2011, they declared bankruptcy. Now the reason I call that mission drift is because they forgot what their mission was. I think they got so focused on the way they did it rather than what their mission was. Their mission was to make photography available to the masses, and now they don't make photography available to the masses anymore, so they took their eye off the ball. Mission drift can also happen in marriage. I just did a wedding two weeks ago for Chris and Brandy at our Leighton campus. Chris is a great friend, and just an, he's one of the overseers over there, just a great man. Brandy's amazing. They're just Amazing. They're an amazing couple. And I remember, you know, I s- stood there with them and, and they took their vows. You know, uh, Chris, do you take Brandy to be your wife to have to hold from this day forward, for better or worse? All that stuff that we say, that, those are your vows. That's another way to say that is that's your mission as a couple. How many couples drift from their mission? How many couples start off, and, and, and they're excited about that, and then over time, they drift from their mission. So I think mission drift can happen in marriage as well. By the way, I think, my, so my parents are celebrating 55 this year? 55. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't drift. Thank God. Thank God. Tracy and I celebrated 25 recently, and we... We're, we're on our way. We're on our way, Mom and Dad. It's so easy to drift, though, isn't it? It's so easy to forget. And I'm not saying that my parents are perfect or that we're perfect, but man, it's so helpful to like know what your mission is, whether it's in marriage or at work or here at church, to know what your mission is. And so, what, what is our mission here at church? What's our mission as Christians? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you call Alpine your home church, what's, what's your mission? Well, Jesus said it like this: Matthew 28:19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. This is the resurrected Christ, by the way, saying this, but I, I want to frame this because I want to I put this in the context of what we're about to read in Mark 14, before Jesus even went to the cross. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, at the end of all this is going to say, Guys, go make disciples. That's your mission. And guess what? 2,000 years later, it's still our mission. Our mission as a church is to go make disciples. Now, the way we like to say that around here is we want to help people pursue God. That's why we have this little booklet called The Pursuit. If you're newer or if you haven't gone through this in a while, we encourage you to grab one of these. They're free. Just grab one on your way out over at the welcome table. But it just explains what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And one of our goals is we recognize, especially here in Utah, that that if you are, like, ready to follow Jesus you might need someone to walk with you and to help you to do that. And so we call that mentoring or discipling. And so we're always talking about, hey, we want to get you connected to a mentor if you're ready to follow Jesus. Tracy and I are mentoring right now. We're mentoring two different couples. We're doing it together as a group and we're going through the pursuit as a group and they're brand new to Christianity. And they're just like every every time, every week when we meet, we're like covering the next topic together and we're talking about God's heart for people. We're talking about why we believe in the Bible. We're talking about the fact that we're all made in the image of God and what that means. We're going to be talking next week about sin and what sin is. The week after that, we'll talk about who Jesus is, who the Bible says Jesus is, because there's a lot of ideas about Jesus, but it's important to have the biblical Jesus. And then the next week after that, in week number six in this, in this series, or in chapter six in the booklet, we're going to talk about how to put your faith in Jesus Christ, how to become a Christian according to the Bible, and we cover all those things here in this booklet. But the point is that the reason we do that is because Jesus gave us this mission, go make disciples of all the nations. When Jesus said that, he didn't, he didn't expect that the, his disciples were going to look at each other and say, okay, I'm going to start a Bible study. I think in a lot of churches, if you're a longtime Christian, when you think of discipleship, you just think of like making smart Christians smarter. That's the backside of discipleship. The front side of discipleship is baptizing people. That means evangelism. The front side of discipleship is introducing people to Jesus. And this is why Tracy and I came here 20 plus years ago to start Alpine Church. is because we wanted to come to an area where people needed to hear about Jesus. And people are hearing about Jesus. And we're trying to stay on mission as a church. And I want to invite you to be a part of that mission. To be a part of helping people pursue God. At Alpine Church. This is what Jesus called his disciples to. So again, before we get to Mark 14, let me just show you how, let me remind you where we started more than a year ago as we started the Gospel of Mark. We covered this in, I think, January of last year. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, also later named Peter, who we're going to talk about today. And his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And so they left their nets at once and followed him. So look, here's what I want. There's The reason I'm showing you this is because I want to show you that Peter was on mission three years earlier. This is three years before what we're going to see in Mark chapter 14 today. Three years earlier, Peter was on mission. Jesus is like, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And Peter was like, let's do this. And he he left his net. It was a total Peter thing to do, by the way. Peter was impetuous. Peter's the guy that's like this all the time, right? So Peter's like, Yeah, let's do it. I'm sure Peter's the one who did it. And he's like, Come on, Andrew, we're doing this. And Andrew's like, Peter, oh, Peter. But they did. He, call, he called them to go make disciples with him, and they're like, We're doing this. That was three years earlier. Now, fast forward to what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper. Last week, we talked about this. At the Last Supper, he's looking around, and he's like, one of you is gonna betray me. And you remember, if you were here last week, we saw that they every single one of them, every single one of them said, am I the one? Every one of them. That means Peter even said, am I the one? And I think, I think if my money would have been on Peter, by the way. We, we had no indication that Judas was a Judas at that point, just so you know. We had, Jesus knew, but we had... Like if you're just like following along and watching the story, if you're walking with Jesus for three years, like if I'm just like Andrew, walking with Jesus for three years and here we are at this culminating Last Supper, we're celebrating the Passover meal and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. If I'm Andrew, I'm saying under my breath, Peter, it's you. Definitely it's you, Peter. I'm just saying, like he's just the guy that's just like this and, and it actually, that text last week said they all wondered if it was going to be them. Every single one of them wondered if it was going to be them. But we didn't show you this last week. I want to show you what the Luke account says. Right after that, Luke 2, 22, 24 says, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Could you imagine this? The dis- I'm just, Could you just picture this? The disciples are like, Jesus is like, one of you is going to betray me. Oh, who's it going to be? Could it be me? Could it be me? And and then, literally not two minutes passed, and they're like, okay, so I wonder which one of us is gonna be the greatest then. Now that, now that we've covered who's gonna betray Jesus, I wonder who's gonna be the greatest, man, these disciples. And right after that, let's go to our Mark text. Now we're finally ready. I've set the context for the Mark text. Right after that, it says this, Mark 14, verse 27. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. So let's back up. I want to make sure you're following here. You might, and part of this is we're piecing it together with the Luke passage, the John passage, and the Mark passage. Remember, Mark's the shortest of the Gospels, so Mark doesn't give all the details, but when you put it all together, when you stitch it all together, literally what we've got is Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. They all wondered who was going to do it, and then they all said, I wonder who's going to be the greatest, And then on the way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus says this, all of you will desert me. One of you will betray me, but all of you will desert me. This is what Jesus is saying. And he tells them why. He says, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So he's quoting a prophecy from the Old Testament. He says, this is going to fulfill the scriptures that say, God will strike the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd, by the way. God will strike the shepherd. We'll talk about that next week. And the sheep will be scattered, the disciples of the sheep. But then he says in verse 28, but after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. I want to pause for a second because there's so much here that you just need to understand. It's so easy to read this text and to just kind of skip past it and just be like, I did my reading for the day. Check. I did my reading for the day. But there's so much here that I think we need to pause on and understand. The biggest thing I want you to see is that that Jesus is communicating that everyone is going to drift. Everyone's going to drift from their mission. Three years earlier, where, where did he call them? I just showed you. See if you're paying attention. Mark chapter 1. Where did he call Peter and Andrew and actually all the others? Where was he? He was in Galilee. He was in Galilee. If you look at your maps at the back of your Bible, Galilee was, is this region on the, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is one of the, one of the towns there. Capernaum was actually like their headquarters, was Jesus' headquarters during his earthly ministry, but Galilee is where he did most of his ministry. Now, now, why Galilee? Why not Jerusalem? Why did Jesus not do most of his ministry in Jerusalem? In fact, he's in Jerusalem right now. Remember, they're there for the Passover. They're there because Jerusalem is kind of like the, center, the central place for the, for the worship of the Jewish people. And so at Passover, all these people are in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and it was just throngs of people at that time. But that's not where Jesus started his ministry. That's not where Jesus called his disciples from. Jesus called his disciples from Galilee. Jesus did most of his ministry in Galilee. Why? Because Galilee represented all the nations. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus didn't say the mission is to go make disciples of Jews. Now, again, this is like totally mind-blowing for Jewish people because for Thousands of years, as we read the Old Testament, the impression that you would get if you were Jewish is that God had favorites, and the favorites were the Jews. I mean, that was definitely the impression that you would get. God has favorites, and the favorites are the Jews, and he's, he's selected a people, and this people is, these are the ones he cares about, and all the nations, whatever, like he just cares about the Jews. Because again, if you read the Old Testament, you just see it. it's just a spotlight spotlighting the Jewish nation through the ups and downs of their history. And God is saying, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to bring you to the promised land, and I'm going to displace all these other nations and bring you to the promised land. So you get this idea that God definitely plays favorites. You get this idea in the Old Testament. But you can't just read the Old Testament. You have to read the whole Bible. And this is what's happening is as we read the whole Bible, we realize that that was just part of the story, and actually the fuller story, the rest of the story, is that God wants to bless all nations. That's why he said our mission is to go make disciples of all the nations. And now we can go back and realize that in Genesis 12, when when God blessed Abraham, who is the father of of the Jewish nation, that we go back and we... We double-check that blessing from Genesis 12, and actually now we realize he says that all nations will be blessed through your seed. That's what he said to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through your seed. All nations will be blessed through the Jewish nation, and the blessing is Jesus himself, that Jesus would be Jewish, and Jesus would come and would accomplish his mission so that the blessing could be extended to all the nations, and that's why Jesus called his disciples at Galilee. Because Galilee represents the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Galilee was a melting pot. And so when Jesus says right here, he says, look, you're all gonna desert me. Because scripture calls it, the prophets prophesied that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You're all gonna desert me, but here's the thing. After I'm raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. I love this, I love this. Here's what it's saying. We're gonna rendezvous at the place where I called you in the first place because even though you're gonna desert me, I know the story's not over. Isn't that cool? You're gonna desert me. You're gonna drift from your mission, but I'm not. That's what Jesus is saying. You're gonna drift, but I'm not gonna drift. You're gonna veer off course, but I'm not gonna veer off course. All of you are going to desert me. Every one of you is going to desert me. Every one of you. Scripture prophesied it. It's going to happen, but I am going to go through with my mission. I'm going to be raised from the dead, and then I'll see you in Galilee. And then here's what Peter says Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Pause for a second. This would be, I'd be like, Peter, are you serious right now? Hold on, let's just, let's just, let's rewind and see what Jesus just said. Jesus, Jesus, the ultimate truth teller, just said, you're all going to desert me. And not only that, Jesus said, Scripture prophesies that you're going to desert me. And Peter said, nope, I'm not going to. I believe me more than I believe you, Jesus, and more than I believe the prophets. What a knucklehead. I was trying to think about the right word for this. Like, what a knucklehead. This is Peter, isn't it? Peter is just like Peter is just like so confident in his abilities. He's so confident in his abilities, even though just last week we saw that he said, am I the one that's going to betray you? And when he realized it wasn't going to be him, then I'm sure he was a ringleader saying, I think I'm going to be the greatest. I bet you I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think Peter and Andrew were probably the ringleaders of that conversation. And now he's saying, I could see Andrew deserting you, Jesus. Definitely. Oh, I could, I could definitely see Simon the Zealot deserting you, Jesus. I could see Matthew deserting He's a tax collector, right? He's a lo, We all knew he was a loser anyway. We didn't like him in the first place. But I'll never desert you, Jesus. I'll stick it out to the end. I don't believe you. I don't believe scripture. I believe me. I put faith in me. I trust me. That's essentially what Peter's saying. But it's interesting, verse 31 says that all the others vowed the same. So it wasn't just Peter who had misplaced confidence. It wasn't just Peter who was questioning Jesus and even scripture. It was all the rest of them. They were all a part of the conversation about who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were all saying, "We're all good. We I would never do that. I wouldn't desert you, no way." And Jesus kind of lets all the others off the hook, but here's what he says to Peter. It says that Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. We've got to pause again. Okay. If you look at this, this story is in the other Gospels. If you look at this in the other Gospels, this is the only Gospel that says that the rooster would crow twice. All the other Gospels just mentions that the rooster is going to crow now, that doesn't mean that the other Gospels are wrong. It just means that, that the other Gospels didn't give that detail. And Mark, it's interesting that Mark is the one that usually gives the least amount of detail, but he adds this detail that the rooster is going to crow twice, which I think is interesting. To me, it shows us that, that like the first time, and pay attention when we read this, the first time the rooster crows, it kind of shows us that, that maybe that was a warning shot for Peter. Like, oh, ooh, wait, didn't Jesus say something about this? We're going to see he's still going to end up denying him, even though he gets the warning shot. So Jesus, Jesus lovingly looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you knucklehead, you're going to deny me. And you're not just going to do it one time, you're going to do it three times. And still, verse 30, Peter said, no. He's still pushing back on Jesus. He's still... He's still elevating, by the way, our definition of sin in the pursuit is is this, just so you can relate to it. Sin is elevating your own opinion above God's opinion. That's like the simplest way to understand what sin is. Sin is like, okay, you read something in the Bible, and then you're like, nah, nah. I'm going to believe my opinion. Now, maybe these days, young people, your opinion is shaped by the world. So maybe it wasn't your opinion at first, but then you heard Taylor Swift say it. Just not. I'm sorry. It wasn't just Taylor. I just had to throw that out there. But, like, you heard some other influencer, whatever. Maybe it was Travis Kelsey, whatever. But you hear an influencer say something, and you're like, yeah, I think I want to believe that. But mom and dad are saying something else. And God's word is saying something else. And so sin, sin is when you, when you say, okay, I've got this decision to make. God says this. I want to say this, I want to think this, or I want to feel this. And sin is just simply when you say, okay, I'm going with my opinion, not God's. It's what Adam and Eve did. Didn't God's, you didn't, you know, you weren't supposed to eat from this one tree. And Adam and Eve was like, they're like, well, we're going to do it anyway. We're gonna elevate our opinion over God's opinion and that's exactly what Peter's doing here. Jesus is like, I'm telling you. He tells it to him again. He says, the prophets even predicted it and Peter's like, nope, I'm gonna elevate my opinion over your opinion. I disagree with you and then Peter, it says, emphatically, he said, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. I mean, such a Peter thing to do. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. So can we skip to the end and show you what happened, how this story ended? Like we have to skip to the end. Now there's some more stuff in between, what, where are we, verse 31. There's some more stuff between verse 31 and verse 66, which we'll cover in the next couple weeks. But for today's story, we, we need to skip to the end of chapter 14 to see how this particular story ended. It says, This is when Jesus was on trial in the courtyard. Come back next week to find out how he got there. But he's on trial in the courtyard. And it says that Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. And she looked at him closely and said, hey, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. And then it says Peter denied it. Let's keep count, number one. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to, into the entryway, and just then a rooster crowed. Warning shot. Like, is he is he gonna like pay attention now? Is he gonna be like, whoa, wait, a, oh, wait, wait a second. This is starting to sound like what Jesus said. Nope. Verse 69, the next verse, when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. I'm sure he is. But Peter denied it again. Number two. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. There's that word again. They could tell that he was from Galilee. They could tell from his accent that he was from Galilee. One of the things that I love about living here in Utah, next to the Air Force Base, is we get a lot, lots of people from all over the country. I love it. For all y'all who are from the South, I just love it. I love meeting you out in the, and I'd love meeting you out in the lobby and talking to you and trying to guess where your accents from. And I, I, I'm getting pretty decent. Like I'm starting to get a little bit of a sense. I'm, I'm seeing some of you now. Like I'm starting to, get, I'm getting, I'm starting to distinguish between the Texas accent and the Alabama accent. Like, it's hard, but I'm starting to get there just a little bit. So I apologize if I've ever accused you of being from Louisiana or something like that. But Like the Boston accent, that one's kind of a little bit easier to figure out. Or My favorite, you know, the Midwest, I'm from Chicago. So talk to my dad after the service, and you'll hear a nice Chicago accent. I've tried to lose mine, but the good Michigan accent, I love the Michigan accent. Well, Peter had a Galilean accent, and they could tell. And I I almost wonder if this is just a little bit of a reminder for Peter that this this, this third opportunity comes along with this reminder about where he's from and where Jesus called him from and where Jesus promised he would meet him after he rose from the dead. It was almost like it was one more chance for Peter to, like, wake up and say, wait, I am from Galilee. Wait, wait, that's where Jesus called me. Wait, that's where Jesus said he would meet me. But nope, he doesn't. Verse 71, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. Ouch. Peter called down a curse on himself. Peter called down a curse on himself. And he said, I don't know this man you're talking about. He didn't even say his name. He didn't even say his name. A curse, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't even know this guy. What are you saying? Who are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. This is from the guy who just said, if no one goes with me, I will die for you, Jesus. And now he's cursing himself And lying and saying he doesn't know this guy. And then, of course, in verse 72, it says, Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. We talked about this verse in January when we talked about shame and guilt Being resilient, it's so easy to, in the context of, like, your own mistakes in your life, it's so easy to feel so shameful and so devastated. And this is exactly where Peter was. He was destroyed that he would do this. Could I point out, though, that Peter was possibly the only one who was still there when Jesus was on trial? Where were the other guys? I mean, Peter gets a bad rap, don't get me wrong, and he should. He denied him three times, but Peter was at least there. Jesus said, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And the sheep scattered, but, Jesus, but Peter stuck around for a little bit. Peter was at least there to deny Jesus three times. The other guys weren't even there. And it shows that every single one of these guys, just like, Peter, just like Jesus predicted, every single one of these guys drifted from their mission. And so that's the question, again, I want to bring you to. Have you experienced mission drift in your life? I, you know what? I mean, if you've been around Alpine for any length of time, you know that this is just like, this is our mantra, this is our heartbeat. We want to help people pursue God. It is so easy to get distracted from that mission. It is so easy to say like, how about we do something else instead? How about we, how about we do something easier instead? It is so easy to drift from your mission. But I wanna, I wanna finish today by showing you something from Luke 22. And I, I want you to see what Jesus said to Peter, before all of this stuff that we just read happened. Now, Mark doesn't share this with us, but Luke shares this with us, and I think it gives us really, really good insight into what just happened, what we just read. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon. It's interesting, by the way, that Jesus is calling Peter Simon here because, remember, Simon was his name in the first place. In Mark 1, when Jesus called him, his name was Simon. But later on, Jesus gave him a new name, Peter, which means rock. And now he's not calling him rock, he's calling him Simon. (laughs) I kind of feel like it's a little bit like a, you're not really the rock right now, Peter. You're just Simon. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He's talking to all the disciples, but he's addressing Simon. He said, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, and he singles out Simon, I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And then he says this, so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And right after he says all this, Peter vows to never deny him, and then Peter later denies him. But look at what Jesus says at the beginning of this, and I wonder if God brought this to mind for Peter even at this point. Pay attention to the language here. Jesus says, So when you have repented, he doesn't say, So if you ever repent, he says, So when you have repented. When you've turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter would falter in his faith. Jesus knew the enemy, the enemy wanted to sift Peter and the other disciples. Jesus knew all of this, and Jesus knew that his faith wouldn't fail, even though it would falter. There's a difference between your faith faltering and your faith failing. There's a difference, difference between you, sort of, you and I getting sort of knocked off of mission, knocked off the course. There's a difference between that and just totally bailing on your faith. Thank the Lord Peter didn't totally bail on your faith, and Jesus knew it at the very beginning. Jesus knew it. That's why he said, so when you have repented, when you have turned back. I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And that's why Jesus said, after I'm raised from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee. You guys will be there. I know you'll be there, and I know I'll be there, and then we're going to get on mission together. And what he's saying to Peter here is, you're going to be sort of the leader of all the losers. <laughs> you're going to be the leader of all the losers. Because look, you're going you're gonna to have, the, that's why he's pointing this out to Peter, he's like, you're going to have this, this epic fail, but at the end of this whole thing, I know that you're going to be the one to strengthen your brothers. And today that's us. We're, we're the brothers. We're the ones. If you can relate at all to Peter's story, if you can relate it all to being sort of knocked off course in your life and, and drifting on your mission, I just want you to I want you to know like this is the God of second chances. Jesus is the God of second chances. This is the God who says, Look, I even though you will fail, I won't fail. Because it's not about the power of your faith, it's about the object of your faith. It's not about the resilience even in Peter's faith. It was about the author of his faith, Jesus himself. And if Jesus could keep Peter, and if Jesus could use Peter in spite of Peter's failure, then he could use you and he can use me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand This truth. And God, I pray that this would be a call to us as followers, as your followers, just a call to us to remember our mission. Lord, you said it. Matthew 28 go make disciples of all the nations. Lord, I pray that we would be about your business. I pray that we would be people who who seek you and know you and stay on mission with you. I pray, Lord God, that you would, especially for the person who's here today who's a, who's a follower of Jesus and who, want, who has never made disciples, God, I pray that you'd give them the ability to do just that. I pray for the person who's here today who wants to know more about you, God, Lord, that you would invite them in and walk with them and show them who you are and what you're about. And so we just, um, I, for one, just confess that I'm like Peter, and I pray that you would help me to stay on mission. And for any any in here who feel the same way, God, I just pray that you would motivate us and use us again, just like you did for Peter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.